let's go back to our text that Paul read earlier this morning. And we find, remember that Paul is writing to some young believers in Corinth. And um, Paul is basically going to let them know what he has to go through just to get the simple message across. And that's in verses 3 through 9. But let's read verses 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Notice that this comes from the Old Testament. We're going to go back and look at all of um, Isaiah 49. It's one of the most profound chapters in the Bible. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let me say this a couple times throughout our study this morning. My, my heartfelt goal is to help us realize just how late it is and encourage you, there's a reason we got the DVDs out there, to encourage you not to waste time in sharing with people that you care and love about that are not saved. And um, if it causes them to feel uncomfortable, so what? (laughs) If it causes you to feel uncomfortable, so what? Um, We'll be talking a lot about hell this morning and um, the reality of it and the consequences, the eternal consequences of that. But here he's pleading with them and he, he lets them know, behold, now is the day of salvation, which is what I entitled the message this morning. But then he, he tells us what he has to personally go through in order to accomplish this for the Corinthian church. He says, for we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulations, in needs and distress and stripes, in imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and fasting, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report, by good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying And behold, we live as chastised and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. This is what he's willing to go for. He's willing to go through all these things so that he can give the gospel to the Corinthians so that hopefully they'll accept it and... um, Salvation is all about being saved. We're going to talk about saved from what? What are we saved from? This morning we'll look at several different topics. Um, The purpose of Curtis Bauer's video that we just saw, I'll be giving you some updates, um, not from um, our news program as a resource, other resources. Um, The lateness of the hour, the reality of hell, the blessed hope and our ruling and reigning with Jesus in the kingdom age, the importance of fulfilling the great commission, and 
It's going to be one of those Bible studies. I'm glad we're going through um, Jeremiah right now because the first 40, we started 46 uh, yesterday morning. So the first 46 chapters is Jeremiah giving the same message over and over and over again. Wasn't a popular message. You guys are going to be taken into captivity captivity by the king of Babylon, and there's nothing you can do about it. Your wickedness, the Lord has had enough of, and he's going to bring this judgment upon you. Well, where we picked it up yesterday um, in men's prayer is it goes on and lists nine other nations that God is going to bring judgment on. So from 46 to 52, the judgment against Moab, the the judgments against Elam, the judgments against Damascus, and so on and so forth. I want it, I would say not nine, I would say 10. I would say the judgment that's due upon the United States of America. Because the very same things that God was judging them for, we're doing. And um, one of the things that came up yesterday is how bad it's really getting is, um, I won't mention the church, um, but it is a mainline denominational church that just hired a gay pastor. And um, I don't know what he does when he teaches through the Bible and he gets to First uh, Corinthians 6 and 9, and I guess he got to sort of jump around that one, or Romans 1, or many portions of the Bible. But that's where we're at. Not to mention um, uh, the millions of babies that we've killed since Roe v. Wade, and the list goes on and on. Lawlessness is off the charts. Oh, you want to rob the store? Go ahead. Go, go on, take what you want, and then we'll defund the police, and lawlessness is abounding. So I don't need you to uh, hear that, but that's a, a reality that um, somebody put it this way, and there, there could be some truth to it. And Why would the Lord use um, a wicked king like Nebuchadnezzar to judge his own people? And somebody brought up, and kind of makes me think of the Lord using possibly Putin to bring judgment against other nations. And I'm not totally writing that off. I'm not saying that's the case. Um, but there definitely is a lot of similarities that are there. Basically, everything you're hearing right now is Russia is the bad guy and um, Ukraine is the good guy. No, most of the killing going on by the Ukrainians right now are full-on 100% Nazis. Yeah, there's still Nazis in the world. And most of them are located in Ukraine. Uh, do your homework on that and be a, be a Berean. But verses 1 and 2, I do like to tie the Old and the New Testament together. We have a quote in verse 2. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in a day of salvation I will help you. There's a lot of theology in Isaiah chapter 49, and I would like you to turn back to it now and show you the quote where it comes from. As you're turning, I'll read just a little bit. As we open this chapter, we are listening to a discourse by Christ as truly as the 12 apostles listened to him in Galilee. In this chapter, we see Christ moving out to become the savior of the world. And this movement, Israel, is not forsaken. For her assured restoration to the land is reaffirmed. There is nothing to correspond to this remarkable discourse of our Lord Jesus Christ 
in the religions of this world. Here is one who is looking at a world and he is looking at it as a servant of God who has come as a savior of the world. Every religion is confined to an ethnic group or to several ethnic groups. Generally, they do not move beyond the borders of a tribe, a people, or a nation, so that most deities are local deities. However, the deity in the word of God is the living God, the creator of the universe, and the redeemer of mankind, as we remembered this morning by taking communion. This fact makes this discourse before us remarkable. In other words, the Lord is the one who's doing the talking here, and the Father in chapter 49. Um, We'll make our way up to verses 1 through 8, and then I'll comment on specifically 6 through 8. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Listen, O Kosans, to me, and take heed, you peoples, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hands, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. And here comes the quote from Second Corinthians. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the perverse ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. There's a church being mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to whom man despises, to whom the nations abhor, to the servants of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. And then he said, and here's our verse, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritage. So here, um, I submit this to you as being one of the most remarkable passages in the Bible, especially verse seven here talks about Israel. Paul refers to this in the book of Romans, chapter 11, where Paul says, now is the fall of them be the riches of the world. Well, the fall of them he's referring to as the Jewish people. Uh, The the Bible says he's purposely blinded them for a period of time. 
Um, John 1, 11 says he came into his own. His own received him not. And, um, but it was all part of God's wondrous plan. Now if the fall of them is the richness of the world and the diminishing of them the richness of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Then in Romans eleven twelve, the rejection of Christ by Israel meant that the gospel went to the ends of the earth. Just, how, just think how great it will be someday in the future when God regathers Israel. Uh, from this section, uh, the discussion of Jehovah with Israel regarding their restoration. Um, we'll, we'll just read just one more paragraph here. God heard the prayer of Christ, and he whom the nations crucified will be the one before kings will bow, and every knee must bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, in 49, basically it is... Um, prophecies that talk about the regathering, and then certain signs that the rapture of the close of my, uh, is so close right now that um, with everything that's happening, um, we see the setting, and I'll read a couple things here to bring us up to date. Here's one from the UN Russia denounces Israel's sovereignty in the Golan Heights after Jerusalem backs Ukraine. Do you know how incredible that statement is? The UN, they want, they say, well, what you guys just did to um, not letting the two independent states go in Crimea, uh, well, you're kind of doing the same things, um, but they're really angry because they stood behind Ukraine. And now it's at the UN, and they're actually saying the Golan Heights doesn't belong to Israel. It belongs to Syria, and we want it back. And Israel said, no. You know what that is? Those are fighting words. And, but talk about a hook in the jaw. What's, what's going to bring Russia, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, into the Middle East? Well, they're already there. And... Um, this is something that Gary reminded me of that I forgot about as we were talking on the phone. Back in 80, was it 83, um, we had a, um, I think Sharon Perez was the, the hawk general at the time for some of you guys that remember this war. And when we went in and we cleaned up shop pretty good. But what we discovered were, were caverns after caverns after caverns underneath the earth filled with billions of dollars of uh, Russian military hardware. That was in 83. And now they're flying in the new stuff right now. So the stage is, is set for this to take place. And when it talks about this war taking place uh, in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, um, we are gone either right before, right during, or right after. Well, how can you come to that conclusion, Dwight? Why, how, why do you say that? Because it says they'll be burning the weapons for seven years in the next chapter, chapter 39. Why not eight? Why not six? Why do they tell us seven? Because the tribulation is a seven-year period of time, and the church can't be here during that period of time. Good place for an amen. So... Um, 
both of us were grieved by the naivety of the church today. Um, American Christians in general and their complacency in being a witness and not exhorting and going out of the way to do everything in their power to bring people to the Lord. Here's just a couple of other things that we went through. Probably the biggest one right now I'm holding up. Boom. Russia returns to the gold standard for its currency. How many of you have heard that? You want to know the implications of what I just said? All the sanctions that we've been putting on them, we'll just starve them out and they, uh, they won't have any uh, ruples to, nobody will take their ruples. Well, they just bypassed all that. By declaring this, in one fell swoop, Russia just made the Russian ruble the most stable currency in the entire world. Moreover, this will hurt the U.S. dollar and the euro. The euro is already tanking as I speak. Um, neither currency is likely to survive. Nobody around the world will favor a U.S. dollar backed by nothing. <laughs> Yesterday, I, was, I thought about doing it this morning, but I thought, I'll offend somebody for sure, so I, I didn't do what I did in Men's Prayer yesterday. I'm trying to make this point. So I took out a dollar bill, held it up, folded it up, and ripped it up, and went like that. <laughs> and I thought, that's a pretty good illustration. And what are you trying to say? And I said, this is worth nothing. And it's, it's going to be more and more like that as time goes by. If you had a choice between, uh, as it says here, backed by nothing with a nation that has a $30 trillion debt. Uh, Russia just completely smashed the United States in the Eurozone. Um, This has happened before. Wars have broke out when a nation decided to go back to the gold standard. I'll take you back to JFK and I believe with all my heart the reason that he was assassinated because he was getting ready to put the gold um, um, standard our currency backed by the gold standard all of a sudden JFK is dead and there are a lot of questions about Lee Harvey Oswald and his his connections well it's not just him Um, when Muammar Gaddafi in Libya planned uh, gold backed currency for all of Africa the west went into Libya and overthrew him. If I remember right, I think they shot him. Um, Then we have Saddam Hussein in Iraq announced that he would start selling oil and currency other than the U.S. dollar. Well, we've always called it the petrodollar because um, that's what backed it up, was the petrol. Well, that's been rescinded, and so another reason for um, it having no value. So when Saddam Hussein in Iraq announced he would start selling oil and currencies other than the U.S. dollar, two months later, the Iraq War II, um, and then they hung him. So as we see people trying to go to this standard, they don't want that. The globalists want a one-world currency. They want to take away everything that you have and let you know that you'll be happy with nothing. That's what socialism and globalism is all about. The kicker is, my two friends, Curtis and Gary, have been, they've given their whole life to this. Um, Curtis was a congressman in in Idaho. And um, 
Gary, Lieutenant Governor of uh, Indiana. And he found all this stuff out because he's on special committees, intelligent committees, and he would sit on some of these briefings and he goes, I don't believe what I'm hearing. And uh, that's all I have to, as Forrest Gump would say, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. All right. You got to have some laughter somewhere. It covers everything so doggone heavy that uh, you got to figure out some way to lighten things up because a lot of stuff is going to hit the fan. I'll go on just a little bit here. Um, Yesterday, Israel's head of state met with Putin in Russia. After the meeting, he came back to Israel and told all Jews to immediately leave Ukraine. Our State Department had a meeting at the same time. The results was the same, to tell every citizen to get out while they can. And iodine is being passed out in Russia as we speak. And if you want to know what iodine is for, it has to do with nuclear poisoning. Uh, Also, um, this one here, China, I don't know if I have it up here with me. I have a video that I watched of uh, a state representative from, um, a state representative went on TV, here he is, Here's a video, title says, China warns U.S. will turn your military to scrap iron. And it's in the context that there's been a lot of more reconnaissance missions of um, China flying their jets over Taiwan. And this is where a lot of, uh, as Curtis said here, where a lot of the small micro things that we need for our products are produced. And now... Um, they sense a weakness. Biden senses a weakness in our administration. I think our administration could be behind a lot of what's going on right now. And um, they want, um, the thing is, come on, it can't get that bad, can it? Look at Canada. And um, how much they're tightening down, even that much more. But they bet basically threatened us, and my guess, if there's another war, that China's going to do it at the same time, go after Taiwan. Just a guess, but I'd take it a step farther and think and say that Russia has sworn to the complete annihilation of the nation of Israel. We're going to drive them into the sea, and that's their goal. And so all all that, while we couldn't fight probably a war on one front, much less two, most definitely not three, if Iran decided to go after Israel. So uh, let's just put it this way, the the pieces of the puzzle are coming together rather quickly. Um, Russian foreign intelligence chief says, for us this is no longer a cold war, but the West, but a hot war. Um, U.S. nuclear command and control aircraft have increased flights. Uh, The U.S. military, Terry Nuclear Command and Control Aircraft have increased their number of daily flights since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a U.S. official says, a sign that the U.S. strategic force has responded in some way to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
the Ukrainian parliament approves law to allow seizure of assets owned by Russia or Russian citizens in Ukraine. And uh, a cargo ship was just um, sunk off the shores of Ukraine. It was a Panamanian-flagged Estonia merchant cargo ship uh, suffered an explosion, sank in the Black Sea off the coast of Ukraine a couple days ago. Two members are are rescued and four are missing. And um, the other one that I wanted to hold up here, well, I think you get the point that a lot is happening. I made a comment on Wednesday night that um, Russia is not interested in any of the Ukrainian people or harming them, that they just want the president that we replaced in 2014, they want him back in and they want their old parliament back in that was pro-Russia, but now they're pro-West. And he, I said it last Wednesday, for those of you who were here, I uh, encourage you to come out on Wednesday night. What do the scriptures tell us to do? Forsake, not the assembling of ourselves together, and that much more as what? As we see the day approaching. But what I see in a lot of churches is just the opposite happening. A lot of complacency, a lot of Laodicean-type mentalities. Oh, we're rich, we're fine, everything's cool. And um, no, now more than ever. Paul couldn't have said it better when he got up. He said, man, don't take this for granted. Fellowship is great. And now more than ever, we need it. Another good place for an amen. Amen and amen. So as we get back to our text here, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And um, it talks about salvation. Sometimes when you say a word over and over again, um, we sort of get used to it, don't realize the importance, the implications of just how important salvation is. And another name for it is being saved. Um, But the question arises, well, saved from what? I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. I want to look at the parable well, I don't believe it's a parable. I believe it's a literal story because there's a proper name and when a proper name is put into, you will not find a proper name in, in parables. But this one you do, so I don't consider it a parable. I consider it a real event. My scripture references to back that up would be Ephesians chapter four, that he who ascended is also the one that first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he set the captives free. And um, they, I believe there's two cha- chambers that we're gonna read here. I believe one of them no longer exists. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores. Uh, who was laid at his uh, gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell down from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dog came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Uh, They could not go to heaven. 
Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And um, they had to wait for that sacrifice to take place. It had not yet happened. The rich man also died and was buried. And then it says, in being in torment, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Father Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. We're talking about torment. We're talking about the awareness of actually having thirst. And he's pleading for a drop of water. And he's communicating. They can hear each other. But Abraham's response was, son, remember that in your life you received good things and Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Unless uh, there be any confusion here, this doesn't mean that if you're wealthy that you go to hell, and if you're poor, you go to heaven. Uh, I'm sure everybody would agree with me on that. But it also says this, the Lord has chosen the poor to be rich in spirit, and we are to warn those who are rich not to trust in their riches. So there's more responsibility that comes if, if you have a lot, there can be this tendency Instead of trusting in the Lord, you can trust on your IRA or your bank account or your checking account or whatever. So that warning needs to be given. Um, In this case, um, this was a hindrance because he didn't seek the Lord, the rich man. Verse 26, and besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those that pass to us. And I put in my Bible pause for a reason. The reason I put the word pause in there is the reality is sinking in to this man who's very much conscious, very much able to communicate, aware of pain, aware of suffering, And I think it just settled in that I'm not going to get out of here. I'm going to be here. And he is there as I give this Bible study this morning. It says in Revelation 20 that death and hell will be emptied and the same man is going to have to stand before the great judgment throne of God in Revelation 20. And the Bible says he'll be judged according to his works. The last thing that I want to be judged by is by my works. I want grace and grace alone, period. And I say it often, but any of us that put us in part of the equation, it's not that we don't do good works, of course we don't. Look at all the stuff that came in for, uh, for the family to be distributed all over the place. Well, we do that because we love the Lord, but not to give us points that help us get to heaven. Roman Catholicism does teach that it's necessary to have works in order to have salvation. And um, here, I I wanted to pause because now something else is coming to his mind. He realizes he's gonna be there forever. 
So what is, he has two requests. The first one says can't do it, can't go between the two departments. Verse 27, he says, well, in that case, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Why? For I have five brothers that he may, we would use the word, witness to them, lest they come to this place of torment. I'm just gonna stop here and give another little pause. I wonder how much he thought about his brother's salvation before he died. I wonder how much he gave it a thought that maybe um, they should be thinking about the Lord. No, only now. And now it's too late. And that reality sets in. He asks the question, and Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And that, in other words, the Old Testament. And the question that I brought up and what I got written in my Bible here is, well, we're talking about the gospel here. Where's the gospel in the Old Testament? They have the prophets and Moses. Well, uh, did not um, Jesus appear to Cleopas and his friends as um, the Lord was killed and they're going home to Emmaus and they're all bummed out and the Lord comes up alongside of him and says, what's the problem, boys? Why are you so sad? What, are you a stranger here? Haven't you heard what's going on? Well, what's going on? Playing dumb. About Jesus of Nazareth. We, we, we thought, past tense, that he was the Messiah. And he looks at them and goes, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the scripture says, how that the Christ must come and suffer. And then he said, started giving them Old Testament Bible studies. And my biggest complaint I'm gonna have with the Lord is I wanna know what those Bible studies were and you didn't tell us. (laughs) It just says that he started with Moses and he went through all of them. Oh, what I wouldn't give to uh, hear that one. Let's just think of one of them. What did the Lord tell Moses to do when the serpents uh, came in and they started to die? Um, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's a picture of the cross, sin being judged. And so I'm sure that was one of them. But then they had supper, it was getting dark, and the Lord said, well, I'm gonna keep going. Cleopas and his friends said, come on in and have supper with us. And um, it says their eyes were opened. I think, you know, when you say your prayers are grace, uh, um, the Jews have their own way of doing it. Blessed art thou, Lord, king of the universe that brings forth bread from heaven. And sometimes they go like this when they're doing it. Can you imagine Jesus going like that in front of those two guys? And their eyes were opened and then Jesus disappears. Well, it took him all day to get to Emmaus, it took him an hour to get back. And then he ran, because they had received this message, Old Testament message. Did not Jesus say the volume of the book was about him? Didn't we just read in Isaiah 49, it's all about him? And from the very beginning, The Bible is about Jesus cover to cover. And um, so that's what he's telling this rich man 
who is tormented in hell, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no father Abraham, because he knew his brothers. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, even if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rises from the dead. Isn't it interesting? There was a man named Lazarus who Jesus rose from the dead. And some of the scribes and Pharisees believed, but others said, and we got a problem on our hand here. We got a living witness walking around. He's dead, now he's alive. So that means we not only have to kill Jesus, but now we got to get rid of Lazarus too. Why? It's too much of a witness. And um, what I want to point out here, and this is really the main point of the Bible study. We don't have any guarantees for tomorrow, especially in light of what is going on. My personal opinion is we are going to have a major financial collapse because of what's happening in our country. And you and your family members should sit down and seriously think about it and talk about it and come up with whatever solutions you think might be necessary. If they do turn the pipeline off from Russia to Europe, where it's at 40% of their, if they do it this time of year, people will freeze to death, Uh, people will die, electricity won't come on, and there's a real possibility in the rumors that I'm hearing is that's the tactic, not a nuclear one. This changes day to day, this war that's taking place. And the latest rumor, and I'll call it a rumor because I can't verify it, but it makes sense if you're a globalist or if you're a Robert um, George Soros in his plan to bring about his monopoly of this global reset. Well, that's what the world calls it. The Bible calls it a one-world government under the Antichrist. So we've been talking about this. Curtis has, Gary has. I've been doing it for over 40 years. I know it's going to happen. It has to. Why do you say that? Because this book says so. (laughs) I have nothing to do with it. I'm only reading what God said is going to happen, and nothing's going to stop it from not happening. But he also said it would happen to the generation of people He talked about them being regathered so that God could work with the Gentiles. But then after he's worked with the Gentiles, the rapture happens. And then it says all Israel will be saved. That's what Isaiah 49 is talking about. God once again bringing them back into their land. Well, the parable of the fig tree tells me that the generation that sees Israel come back will see the fulfillment of some Bible prophecy. Better call me out quick. All Bible prophecy. The rapture is part of Bible prophecy. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is at the doorstep, my friend. And the Lord is at the door. And again, um, the purpose and my tone of voice and urgency here, I hope that you're picking up on, is that you do pick up a God of wonders. If you've never saw it, watch it for yourself. But it presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the last segment of God of Wonders in such a powerful way by Dave Hunt primarily and Roger Oakland do such an outstanding job of um, laying out the gospel. It's hard to be hard-hearted when it's presented that well. So um, 
If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. Jesus talked about hell. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to give an overview of the ten virgins, one through thirteen. Five were wise and five were foolish. Um, Five of them uh, had oil for their lamps. Five did not. Oil, many times, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they would anoint somebody with oil, um, symbolizing the Spirit coming upon that person. So when when I read the parable of the ten virgins, I see five that are born again and five that are Christians but in name only. There's a lot of people that are Christians in name only. They go to church every Sunday and they'll even say, well, Lord, Lord, we did this for you and we did that for you and we did miracles in your name. And he's gonna look at them and say, yeah, but I never knew you. I never had a personal relationship from you. And then he says, depart from me who do wickedness. Well, they were doing the works. It must be that they had to be doing them for themselves and not for the Lord because they didn't know the Lord. So we read that um, as the, the Lord comes, the shout comes, the bridegroom is coming. And the five who had the oil went in. And afterwards, verse 11, the virgins also came in saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This to me is a rapture verse because I can tell you the day of the first coming of the Lord and I can tell you the the day of the second coming of the Lord. But no one knows when the rapture is. I think, you know, if I'm the the Lord and I'm looking at the world scene and and he's not willing that any should perish, I think he's just going like this and saying, "I I don't want any to perish, so I'm gonna let this thing go on until I can't, it can't last any longer. If I give you an Old Testament scripture to go along with that, it would be from Genesis 6 that it talks about um, the spirit of the Lord not always striving with men. He will strive with you. He'll use you as an instrument to try to get your friends to get saved. And uh, sometimes your friends will say, enough already, just get out of here. And then you can shake the dust off your feet and go to somebody else who will listen. But the striving, there is a point, there is a line. Boy, aren't you glad you're not God? Where you say, okay, that's it. I'm not gonna strive with you anymore. I'm not gonna say it anymore, believers your way. If that's what you want, like the way we say, everybody has a free will. We can choose to accept, we can choose to reject. The second parable of the talents is um, one, the Lord gave, um, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling from a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to him. This would be a picture of the Lord uh, sending the Holy Spirit back and giving gifts to true born-again believers. But in the same situation as the ten virgins, two of these guys are born again and one isn't, but he still calls himself a Christian. Let's see what happens to him. So he gave one five talents, and another he gave two, and to one uh, he gave one. 
And he went away for a while, and when he came back, the guy who had five is all excited, says, Lord, Lord, you give me these five talents, I got five more. And he says, well done, verse 21, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm gonna make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now, isn't that what we want to hear more than anything else when we see the Lord? As well done? Well, the guy who got two, he's all excited. Oh, Lord, you give me these two talents. Uh, um, I invested them, and now I got two more. He says the same thing to him. Well done. Uh, and then the guy who had one, here's his description of the Lord. Then in verse 24, then he who had received the one came and said, Lord, I knew that you're a hard man. <laughs> really? Come and learn of me. I'm gentle, lowly of heart and in spirit. What does this tell me? This guy doesn't know the Lord. And reaping where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered. Without getting in depth here, I just want to say that this person is Christian in name only. And what are the consequences? He says in verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the guy who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And then he says what? And please let this sink in as we talk about outer darkness and hell. And cast an unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Will you just let that sit in a little bit? Churches don't talk about hell anymore. Churches don't want to tell you to think about weeping and gnashing of teeth. But um, my heart goes out for single people um, all alone, have to stay by themselves alone, especially now with all the pressures that are on. I really do. My my heart goes out to the, the singles. And, um, but imagine being by yourself, conscious of all your mistakes, and then living with yourself throughout all eternity in outer darkness. Now, before I was saved, the joke was this. Man, can't wait to get to hell. Party time with my buddies, and um, uh, we're just gonna rock and roll with all our old friends. I got a phone call from a guy that I haven't seen in over 45 years last night. This is completely off script, so bear with me. Name was David McGee, and he says, hi, this is David McGee, and I went, David McGee? David McGee? Well, I met this guy, exceptionally talented musician, played with Dave Mason, um, Stevie Winward, uh, uh, Bon Jovi. Somebody came up after uh, last week's Bible study when I started quoting these old musicians. Uh, and he says, Dwight, you gotta learn younger music. None of, the young people have a, none of the young people have a clue what you're talking about. Only us old guys know what you're talking about. But, <laughs> was that an old person or a young person who said that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, I went down memory lane with this guy. He's played in over 300 Calvary chapels. And I just began the list of bands that he played with. And I'm going to call him back because I just got a voice message because um, 
Um, this was later at night, and, and um, so I'm going to call him back. He's been pastoring a church. Uh, in his message that he left me, his pr- he was praying for me, and his prayer was twice as long as the message that he left. And uh, he's been serving the Lord. He says, the thing that tilted me to serve the Lord was I was traveling everywhere with Bon Jovi. He even looks like Bon Jovi. And he said he had it all. And he was miserable and unhappy. And people had been sharing with him. And I look at some of my Christian friends who have nothing. And they're happier than a lark and don't seem to have a care in the world. And um, I don't want to be unhappy and bummed out and have, have the fame but have no purpose and meaning in my life. For over 30 years, he's been pastoring this church in, what's the cigarette? Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, it's got a huge church down there and uh, that is not part of my notes and I'm glad I brought up it. Anyway, so there. So Jesus' teaching here on hell is um, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't read over that. Don't, don't gloss over that. This is going to happen to many people. I'll say it again. I've said it before. There are more people going to hell than people going to heaven. The Bible teaches that wide is the gate, broad, that leads to destruction, and many be that find it. But narrow is the gate, that leads to life, and few will be that find it. Please let this sink in, and please again let it be a motivator for us to redeem the time and share with our friends uh, what is really going on in the world. And just tell them, do you, do you know that the things that are happening right now the Bible talks about in great detail? And nine chances out of 10, if they weren't listening before, they might be listening right now. One more, and I'll go through this quickly. Uh, Verses 31 uh, to 45 is uh, the Lord returning and um, uh, judging those that are saved and those that are not saved. I was hungry and he gave me food. I was thirsty and he gave me drink. I was a stranger and he took me in. I had heart for other people. And Christians, we should have this heart for other people. But to the ones on... um, He said, come, you blessed of my father, and enter the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So we're talking about the millennial kingdom. Then this other group that came, um, um, the sheep and the goats, uh, were the ones that had a heart only for themselves and lived only for themselves. I was hungry and he gave me no food. I was thirsty and he gave me no drink. I was a stranger, he did not take me in. Self-centered only interested in themselves. And uh, again, the one, everything in chapter 25, the one common denominator is that there's one who have the appearance and take the name Christian. But in every one of the ones that we look at, we find out that's not the case. And so here is where we read, he answered and said, verse 45, Assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. And then he says this, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. 
Let me talk about the false doctrine of annihilationism. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you are hearing it for the first time. Annihilationism, anytime I do a funeral, there's usually a lot of non-believers there. And I'll come right out and say it. I said, I, I know a lot of you think that when you die, you die. That's it. That's it. Just poof. No, don't have to worry about anything else because you no longer exist. No, it's not true. Everybody lives forever. You have a spirit and you have a soul. Hell was not created for you. You have an opportunity. The devil and his angels don't. These people here said, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, do you know that the demons believe in Jesus Christ to the point of fear and trembling? And to the, 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 the one that was possessed with the legion of demons said, do not torment us before the time and do not cast us into the abyss. So they know it's coming and I want you to know that it's coming and these will go into everlasting punishment. The annihilationist believes that when you die, your soul is simply annihilated and that's it and you don't have to worry about it. No, this should strike fear into any person. And having said that, I'm gonna ask you to turn to the book of Jude. I'm picking it up in verse 17 of Jude. It's only one chapter long. But you, beloved, remember the words which was spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last days, huh? who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up by the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then notice this, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. All right, does not the Bible said it's the goodness of the Lord that leads a person to repentance? That's what it says. I mean, the Lord would just like to tell you how much he loves you. John 3.16, he loves you so much. That's his preference. He's not willing that any should perish. But having said that, he also has another card that he's playing here, have compassion, making a distinction. A distinction between what? Well, we're being as loving as we can and presenting it, but they're blowing it off. Well, in that case, then save others with fear. Well, what does that mean? You give them a good, hard, coal, hard, uh, knocking Bible study, hell and brimstone, and you say, okay, if you reject it, I just want to tell you straight out what's going to happen to you. That's what it means, some say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than anybody else in the scriptures. And he, and he laid out the consequences that they are eternal. And um, there's no way, if you die in your sins, that's what's going to happen. I'm closing the Bible study not with that. Fortunately, the last two verses are much more edifying. But before I read these last two verses, I just want to encourage you, don't make the mistake 
that the rich man did when it was too late. Um, you never know. I think of Linda and Paul, it was 19 years, not 15, but that's four years off, that's not too bad. <laughs> and stand saved. And the thing of it is, when I was leaving, I knew that it was gonna be the last time I saw him. Sometimes the Lord just taps me on the shoulder and says, take a good look. And um, when, I, when we prayed and I said goodbye, I said, I'll see you later. I just put it in those terms. Why? Because I'm gonna see him later. That's why we say here, there, in the air, you know, to the believers. Um, but no guarantee. I have no guarantee about tomorrow. You have no guarantee about tomorrow. But if you're saved, then, like we read in 2 Corinthians 5, we groan for it. This tent that's wearing out. Lord, I want a new one. One, one that doesn't wear out and doesn't have these things. But, you know, your name is in the book of life and everything's fine with you. But what about the guy you work next to? Have you given up on him? Or has he given up on you? Uh, what about family members who, are, who will shut you off when they, when they see it coming? Uh, again, if they won't listen, maybe they'll watch. That's why the God of Wonders are out there. And please take the mindset that, um, that, that we read, um, hell is real, and um, if you had one glimpse of it, uh, you, you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. So let's read the last two verses. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, oh I like that word, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore and all God's people said it. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and the promise of eternal life. And Lord, help us receive um, Matthew 28, where you told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all the things that you have taught us. And then you Encourage us by saying that you will be with us always, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. But the Great Commission is exactly that, and it should be number one on our priority list. So I pray your word would not return void this morning, and that you'd go before the rest of our day and the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen.